0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today we're talking about Gen V, the Amazon Prime superhero satire set in the world of The Boys, which itself is currently on hiatus between seasons three and four. Gen V wrapped its first eight-episode season last month, and my guest today is film editor Mora Corey. Maura, welcome to Below the Line.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: I am glad you're here, excited to talk about this show, and we're going to be joined in the co-host chair this week by returning guest Gianni DeMaia, host of the Bad Movies podcast and friend of the show. Gianni, nice to see you again.
2: It is always a pleasure, Skip. Thank you for having me back. And to talk about comic book stuff, this is super exciting. Thank you.
0: Well, we're going to kick it off with a warning for listeners. Today's conversation will contain spoilers. But Maura, I want to start with talking a little bit more about this universe where Gen V is set. It expands on the boys with the introduction of the Godolkin University, where superhero right. teenagers train their powers. But as we mentioned earlier, the boys has three seasons under its belt. And in doing so, there's a certain tone and style to the show. I'm curious about how that influences the editing on Gen V.
1: Well, it influenced the editing on Gen V quite a bit as we wanted to make sure that there was continuity between the boys and Gen V. Uh, And as a franchise, to give it the same, it, it was very important for it to have the same feeling because we are expanding on this idea of, I mean, we're widening the world of the boys by taking it outside of just the city. Now we're into the larger superhero community at large. So we very much were attentive to music styles, uh, cutting styles, making sure that we were true to superpower styles, uh, because we introduced new characters, new superheroes, new powers, and, uh, and focusing on this, new generation of superheroes that were all shot up with compound V. So.
0: But as a follow-up, is there anything specifically from an editing approach that you do differently for Gen V to separate it from the mothership, if you will? Or again, is that first goal just to sort of integrate fully?
1: It was definitely thought that we wanted to make this show a independent space. Like we wanted it to have its own voice. Mm-hmm. And most of that had to do with the fact that we were zeroing in on this younger generation. So a lot of it is about character building, about drama building, and making sure that this this college, the Godalkin University space was understood. Because the boys, you have seven superheroes and a larger community. Here we have a larger community of superheroes and a smaller human component. So stylistically we wanted to keep that same feeling of fast cutting with the fighting making sure that the comedy landed making sure the drama moments landed but we also wanted to give it this voice i mean our main character is female so we wanted to make sure that female issues were coming through but also not losing the satire and what makes the boys so phenomenal and and i mean for lack of a better word tasty you know just Mm -hmm. wanting it to but and and because this is a different show, we wanted our characters to have their own their own voice.
2: You touch on something I think that's super important about Gen V in particular, because it is it's a, she, the main character is female, but it's even yeah. also even deeper because her core trauma is literally associated to one of the most important like sort of female moments in her life yeah. when she hits her first period, and that's tied so deeply to her powers. And so like. Are there things in Gen V that you you had to be particularly attentive to? Uh, Like, for example, you have the character of of Sam, who's obviously gone through quite a lot. Was it crucial to kind of focus and make sure, like, oh, this moment needs to feel really empathetic, as opposed to you know he's not just violently wailing away and being yeah scary. Great,
1: great point. Has to
2: be someone that's emotional
1: too. That is a great question. I think one of the things that's that we have different than the boys is you you have sympathy for the superheroes versus. Animosity towards the superheroes. Hmm. So these kids are going through all these life changes. To, I mean, we know I don't know where the story's going, but they they are clearly unaware of the uh, dangers of Vought. Hmm. So we definitely wanted to make sure that Sam is a character, although violent, we understood the trauma that Marie's trauma. I mean, if you watch, if you go through the whole series, it's all about stepping into their trauma and and feeling what they're feeling uh you've seen you've seen the whole series right so like
0: yes Yes.
1: (laughs) and then then, (laughs) (laughs) spoilers are (laughs) possible on this show folks
0: so (laughs) if you haven't watched them all you need to check in
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry that was a silly question um so yeah we wanted to very much make sure that the characters were felt and we were seeing it through these kids eyes because they're still in that stage of thinking they can do good they're stepping into the school thinking this is this is my chance to be a hero you see it with emma you see it with marie you even see it with kate in the finale she's like i'm trying to save you right and we wanted to make sure that there wasn't this that she we understood that maybe her way although not not the best approach because she's had so much trauma. <laughs> right. But understanding where this wanting to burn it down comes from because of how her story unfolded.
2: And how that ties so deftly into the boys, because of course yeah. you have that final reveal with Homelanders sort of showing up and Okay. So full disclosure, my brother is the massive boys. Like, I mean, I watched the show yeah. and I, and I love uh, Gen V, but my brother is like the biggest, like he reads all the comics. And, and he was like, you gotta ask, like, about homelander you gotta you know you gotta ask about the exploding penis which i'm sure we'll get to or whatever but i mean we was like to there... uh,
1: just to be fair we call it we called it in the office we called it the cock explosion
0: <laughs> all right we'll make a note on that
2: <laughs> there you go that uh, that's the title of the episode i think now so <laughs> <laughs> just it takes everything away but i mean was there a particular moment in the editing room where okay this homelander's here we have to we have to really focus up on this moment in particular. This has to be like the the ball has dropped. You know, this is the moment that Gen V everybody's going to be talking about.
1: Right. So we were very, very, very uh, focused on the fact that Gen V was going to hand off a plot point to the boys. Mm. So Homelander's landing and doing his soup superiority thing, which personally for me was was so much fun to cut because the actor who plays homeowner is so amazing yeah and he was i mean the dailies were money throughout the whole thing and was like <laughs> oh was embarrassment. Like, two, i think he has two lines and he eats. i <laughs> know but it was so <laughs> bad oh my god you just it. it. was so good the thing that's so great about him you never know where he's going to turn his anger so marie walks up and that moment we wanted to make sure that it's like whoa what's What's he gonna do? Is he gonna embrace this person we've been following? Or I don't know. He's supposed how is he gonna save the day? And you know, he did his awesome homelander thing and didn't.
2: You know? Was it always designed that it cuts there? Or was there supposed to be more of a follow-up with the, the other character?
1: That's a great question. No, it was designed to cut when she got blasted. Hmm. The subsequent news thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: we've uh decided we needed more homelander to watch that. It was done more of in a solo thing, but we thought having him present and to see the look of smirk on his face right. and kind of relishing in this turn spin that he did—that there was the new Guardians of Godolkin who, you know, were the people trying to kill humans. So that's kind of where 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 we found it in the editing room when we found oh a homeliner so juicy right here we should even just because we're handing the football off make sure that we had his presence very felt.
0: Mm. You know, more something you said about this show where we empathize with the young heroes. It brings up an interesting point, like your brother, Johnny, I am actually familiar with the comic books and the whole Godolkin storyline in the comic books is really embedded into the boys story. And they're not very sympathetic. Mm. It's really just like one chapter of this ongoing conflict with superheroes and sort of the satire parody, the whole bit. But by removing it and taking it separately, I think there is this opportunity for a different approach that even wasn't in the comic book material. And I'm curious at what stage the sort of comic book material is left behind or are there influences from the original books that carry through to your work?
1: That's a great question. And uh, personally for me, I have, I have no idea. That's more of a writer's room uh, conversation. Um, for what the showrunners... Uh, Michelle Fazekas, Tara Butters and Eric Kripke have done this great job of not only, I think, integrating a lot of the comic book stuff, but also making it really palatable to a new medium mm-hmm. and kind of putting their own spin on it. And, you know, that's what's exciting about doing shows with creative showrunners is, you know, we had the boys where the the soups were Unlikable, and now this one flipped it on its head. It's almost like they did flipped it again. You know, I I don't know. It's 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 exciting. It's exciting. Each
2: each opportunity they have to build out this world and really explore these people gives gives new breath to the kind of material. So that's that's very interesting. Um, I did actually, I think, kind of in a similar vein because i was I was curious, but so I'll phrase the question like this. So I think there's two major scenes from the episodes that you edited that focus on the character dynamic that was i think my personal favorite character dynamic in the show which was the sort of emma sam relationship and Mm. and how that's kind of like foundationally built there's this brilliant and i think like very subtle sort of scene that happens at the beginning of i believe the fourth episode where uh he's essentially saved her after she's you know sort of inadvertently or inadvertently saved him from the sort of the the you know however you want to describe it the, the hospital or uh, uh the the sort of experimental yeah um, the woods changer. yeah the woods right and so he I think in the the way it's uh, framed a lot of the the initial sort of conversation takes place with mostly like wide shots where they're both in frame and and mm-hmm. you can see you know Emma's you know the little Emma and him sort of like purveying over her as like almost a protector and then it's not until she actually starts to reveal this sort of lie that she had told about Uh, his brother being alive that it cuts into more close-ups on Emma specifically and then Sam sort of independent of her and I don't know if this was you know like a deliberate choice but the way I interpreted it as a viewer was that it it gave me some some inherent sense of tension like I don't know how this person's going to react and the violent outburst could be directed at Emma who is a character that we're already you know sort of affectionate for and I guess of course, you know, all of it could just be at the end of the day, you you know, you could just as easily say that, oh, yeah, it's just budgetary. Like, it's hard to have yeah. two people in frame and you're compositing someone small the whole time. But it seemed very intentional. And I was curious, how much of your work as an editor do you find that in, in Gen V in particular, do you find that you're able to sort of dictate the visual narrative versus how much of it is just sublimely sort of shot listed like that to give that exact sort of experience that's
1: a great question um it is absolutely on purpose we built it that way it is absolutely a comedy it's a combination of all elements that make editing a beautiful art form in my opinion Hmm. it is the actors were phenomenally their chemistry was just phenomenal Uh, the actors did a great job with their lines the way they shot it because Emma was on green screen for most of it she was there in the room reading the lines with him so they were in the same space so again they reacted to each other emotionally they were they were great pairing not only that scene but the scene where they're in in the finale when they're in the theater the big same argument thing. yeah it was it was almost that scene almost edited itself i mean the performances were just Dro- Dropped out, amazing. In fact, I don't think we did a ton of notes on that scene. Like my first cut is pretty close to what we have. But um, the the first scene in scene four, we were talking with Emma and Sam in the uh, drive-thru. It is very important that we start the scene with them in this wide space so you can see how tiny she really is to him. I mean, she's ant size mm-hmm. and he looks huge. And and creating their emotional dynamic and the timing between where he, he goes, no, we got to find Luke. And she just pauses and turns and she makes you see the look on her face of making that decision. So you being close in there, you want to be intimate with what Emma has going on because you can see the wheels turning. So that's why the close up is so strong. And then when we cut to Sam thinking about it, you want to be again in this close framing so you can see him process this. And again, the tension is specifically built to say, what is he going to do? Mm-hmm. Because it's been established at this point that he has violent tendencies, that he's got obvious, I think they had described as, as schizophrenic. And that's also why we intercut when he did this, he smashes a bunch of stuff. she We cut her to being scared, but not so scared that she wouldn't, like she wasn't so scared that she was pushed away from him. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? because she could see the turmoil in him and his outburst she then drops down and again we have this wide shot where she falls into frame and then we i we stayed in that so she could walk towards this huge hulking frame again that's composited and then when she gets up and she goes sam i'm never gonna leave you her voice is soft she's super tiny and you can and then we get really close on his face we go you're going to leave me that's the emotional connection we have between these two no matter what he's huge she's small but there's still this connection between the two characters and you get that when you can hold a close up and honestly if the actors were so good to be able to hold a close up like that is great you know when you end on silence and you can just read somebody's face it's a sign of amazing acting so
2: well yeah, but it's just a perfect example of, you know, the sort of collaborative art form where each piece mm-hmm. just complements the other because the visual language of that edit tells that story exactly in the way as you're describing it, just as the actors tell that story exactly in the way right. you're describing it, just as the Yeah.
1: Way- so, when I ever whenever I approach a, a scene, it's performance first to see what the act if, how the actors are going to inform the scene because they, you know, ultimately I'm shaping their performances. So I want their best thing on the table. So if their best thing on the table is only the close ups, then it's like, mm, well, <laughs> that's a little different idea. But uh, when you have such an amazing, like the director had such an amazing vision on this to be like, you know, we want to see the difference in, in these sizes, even the whole line where she goes, he goes, did you grow? You look a little bigger because I think I ate some of his ear. <laughs> she, she was in the script. She was even tinier. And he's like, oh, she needs to be a tad bit bigger just so we can see her on that table. So <laughs> there was there was a little bit of that informed, and, you know, and, you know, she's uh, she's the actress is just standing in a room with like nothing behind her. I mean, the right. way they they managed to even get the eyeline beautiful. It was fun to do.
0: Yeah, but covered in blood and goop, though. I'm sure that that was oh, yeah, the real, right? That's a full sized blood and goop, even though There's she's a very pra- small.
1: <laughs> they do a lot of practical stuff, which I, <laughs> the practical effects, which I just think is the bee's knees. I just love it. I mean, i you saw, Emma when she's dangling from. The dude's penis, and just shoot, that thing <laughs> was built. Somebody built that, like it's
2: pretty great The sound design in that scene, I think, is what sucks <laughs> oh, yeah. so much. Oh yeah, <laughs> it just like you. As soon as she like, oh man, you just so hear the ridiculous, slap. Ridiculous I know, right. But yeah, that slap. It, you're yeah. like, yep, that's real.
0: So more going back to something that Gianni alluded to. He talked about the episodes that you edited. You were the lead picture editor for episodes four and eight. Can you talk to a little bit about what that means in terms of the full editing team with your focus on those episodes specifically?
1: So, you know, uh, it breaks down, especially with television, that you have a number of editors working on one project. So, I mean, every show works differently. This one specifically, we had quite a few based on schedule and need. So I basically am the only editor on my episode. So it started with me it ended with me. Uh, and I have an assistant editor, Jen Rosenthal, who did a lot of the temp sound design and a lot of the temp. She was amazing. She's my partner in crime. Let's put it that way. And a, a relationship between an editor and assistant is such a team. It's I, I credit a lot of my success to how much she supports me. Um, and then I had a fantastic uh, the effects editor who would provide me with temp elements because, for instance, in in episode four there was that end fight scene with all the blood lassos and all I'm really proud of episode four at the end, especially because that's the first time you actually see everybody kind of using their powers. And that's when we reveal Emma as can also get huge. So um, there was a lot of temp elements we had to put into place to make sure that all the timing was correct because those cuts are fast and furious. And because the effects is way down the line, you got to make sure that your picture is going to be just uh, airtight. So basically, I, it's, I'm it's i doing the picture editing, and then my assistant, Jen Rosenfall, is helping me with VFX an- editor, Andy Cohn. He helps. And we come together and try to bring in all the elements. And then I one-on-one work with producers and the notes process until we get to picture lock.
0: Now, another aspect of that episode four that I want to talk about is this framing of Tech Knight doing a true crime episode. And Tech Knight is kind of like yeah. Batman, the detective, you know, as you will, I think, <laughs> kind of trying to figure things out or talk it through, but is very much uh, working for the uh, for yeah, for Vought through the whole thing. Give us a sense of how that episode came together and and the conscious decision to frame parts of it as his show.
1: Great question. That actually came as we were editing. Um, the first part where we introduce him and you see the spoof, I guess, or, or, or send up of a true crime show that was in a script after we had our first cut done, we realized um, we needed a little bit more of that. So we had an opportunity with Rufus when he was watching his phone uh, to uh, again, do another part. So we could really play up this new character that who has been talked about, but has never been seen. It was fun for me because I started out kind of an unscripted world. So it was pulling out all the old skills I had <laughs> looking <laughs> through stock footage and finding, you know, the, the wine glass dramatically falling, <laughs> and, you know, a body or glasses. And it's new. It's fun. So then we would toss, you know, during the notes process, we, I'd get a script and then we'd talk about what kind of visuals would go with that. And then kind of just grab stuff out of the air because we knew this was the kind of, um, we knew being able to send up a show like that was going to add to his character and add to the menace and the, and the exposure of him since it's the first time we saw him.
2: Yeah, it has very like dateline sort of adjacent kind of vibes to it. I think the Tech Night stuff also has one of my favorite visual jokes in the whole show, which is the one that you do at the very, like towards the very end of the episode where he's kind of doing his sign off. We already know at this point that he has this weird <laughs> and random like, uh, affinity for Pink. holes yeah. that he likes to essentially uh, stick himself into, and the the edit is so clever because it, it, it's him, and he just looks slightly to the left, and you cut to his POV of the hole in the tree. Yeah. the timing of it is sublime. I mean, it's so perfect. I'm sure it was shot listed, but bravo because it, it was
1: the guy, the actor was so fun. So if you go back and watch that whole episode again, there are stuff in there. He's he had, uh, runs his finger around a glass in this really seductive way, <laughs> he picks up this tape dispenser and kind of like <laughs> caresses the inside of the tape dispenser. And at one point, and this was my favorite shot in the whole thing, he's having this inter- interaction with Dean Shetty and he's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to throw you under the bus. And at the end of the conversation, he just kind of looks down, he picks up this bagel and he looks at the bagel. And he looks at her, and he kind of gives this like saucy look and leaves. And <laughs> you still don't know he likes to have sex with holes. And when you go back and watch that, I'm like, this guy is the best. Oh I'm my god! Goodness. So much.
2: He was leaving you all of the clues.
1: He was, and same thing when he does the. And I, I get a lot of credit again to the actor, just kind of in between, kind of darting and seeing the hole. And I'm like, oh well, this is this is just too funny.
2: Yeah, it is a brilliant. But in the same episode, I think you also kind of set the the tone of the the sort of. I think you had already mentioned Sam's like sort of schizophrenia, which kind of manifests as like a Sesame Street sort of adjacent. Oh
1: yeah. Um, yeah. there's like
2: that great joke about it's like character actor Jason Ritter like appearing in the Sesame Street sketch. Tele-
1: television actor Jason Ritter. Yeah, tell tell me that, actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, it was brilliant. But was that that also like very clearly delineated in the script? They wanted like Sesame Street specific or was that something you guys kind of came up with?
1: No, no, no. That was in the script. And, you know, the whole puppet thing starts there. Mm. The next episode, he has the puppet massacre, which is amazing. And then puppet sex with Emma. I mean, the whole puppet (laughs) thing, thing. So that's kind of the first time we land on the puppet stuff. And we see very genuinely that he doesn't see the world the way Everybody else sees it. And that Emma is in. She's like full on in there too. She goes, How can I help? You know, what's wrong? And who's this? And what are you hearing? I'm not seeing anything. Sam, how can I help it? Very sweet.
0: Well, episode four is also where the explosion takes place, as we teased earlier. Mm. And in the editing of that scene, more tell me how that came together. Because again, that's it's short, it's shocking, but it's got to be really critical that you handle it just right.
1: One of the things that was really important for that scene specifically was to illustrate how Marie Moreau's powers were more than just blood spears and shards. And that she didn't fully understand the scope of what her powers were or are. And I think all of the season is kind of about that until we get culminated in episode eight. So when we were editing it, we wanted to make sure it was fast, because she didn't know what she was doing, so it's a reactionary, much like the explosion of the arm at the end. No, boom, you know. So there's no foreshadowing. This is one. This is basically the foreshadow to what's going to happen to Kate in episode eight. Uh, obviously, in the edit room, I wanted more, and more, and more, just because how uncomfortable. <laughs> Look, Uh, I definitely got ringed in. (laughs) uh, For me, I just, I just love when people squirm. (laughs) If I'm not laughing, crying or squirming at work, it's not worth it. (laughs) So it was, we wanted to make it fast, fast. And because she gets saved by Jordan, a lot of it was supposed to feel simultaneous and you can't show all things at once. So knocking on the door, she's like, Whoa. We see his uh, penis blow up through the blood. Again, the director had just an amazing shot where you can see Rufus. It's it's a low angle shot. You see Rufus's face and you see his penis kind of come into frame and he grabs it. Like, what are you doing? And then practical effect on her with the explosion. She just gets sprayed in the face with blood, oh. which is great because actors don't, I mean, that's a natural reaction. She's like, oh. Like that was completely natural. And I think we used the first take on that because I don't think she, I mean she didn't realize it. She knew it was coming. That you just I don't know. It's like you, you can never she, really
2: anticipate. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it was like I was to me the whole thing was what happens when you know a balloon's going to pop, but you know a lot faster. And as we were talking about female issues before, weirdly justified because he was going to rape her. So mm-hmm. it is. It's. A, uh oddly satisfying it's it's horrifying but also in a weird way oddly satisfying that she does something to this person who's clearly a a violent criminal
2: it gives the audience a little bit of freedom I think to to feel the real comedy of the situation you know Absolutely. because if he's just some random dude then obviously you're like that's scarring and I you know the, oh yeah know how to feel but like you you feel a little bit more
0: comfortable and- oh like, yeah you have to take the
1: worst person in the world yeah. and have it happen it to too otherwise yeah. it's just mean yeah
0: <laughs> yeah and in fact he seems to bounce back since we see him in i think episode eight as well right as as he's yeah. uh, but, uh but, you whether...
1: know, like superheroes yeah he's, 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 like, you know he gets what is it in the second episode kate makes him hit himself oh with the bat and and right? the, the bat yeah <laughs> he's getting hammered
2: like in a in a scene like that that's obviously Highly emphasizing the sort of visual effect element of it. Uh, is there any like sort of like practical element to it that yeah. they have that you can composite on top of? Oh
1: yeah, they had. He was obviously wearing a prosthetic, and they had a bladder that they had um, that could uh, simulate a, a, a bubble. But the VFX team made it insanely awesome. Like <laughs> I couldn't even have come up with how awesome that looked. <laughs> There's I mean even in my like, twisted brain I was like holy moly that looked amazing. And uh, once they did get the visual effects in I I'm pretty sure they pared it down even more just because it was so uh visually aggressive like in a good way like it, you you got it right away. So there was no need to sit stay on this one cock explosion for too long.
0: <laughs> it, it left an impression. Yeah. More turning to episode eight, I want to talk about some specific scenes here as well. But first, there was a rumor in the trades that Gen V was going to be one season, but then got extended when the show was doing so well. Did any of this play out in the editing room or was a lot of this resolved before it got to you?
1: I would love to be able to answer that clearly because I'm not in those conversations. I don't know. So unfortunately, for any sort of insight into that, I mean, I have no idea.
0: Was there any additional photography that was done in order to set the stage for a second season?
1: Again, I can't really tell you the script I had. There wasn't like any scenes shot after the fact going, oh, we're going to get a season two. Let's do this. No, those what they wrote is what I received as far as
0: editing. So the final scene of them in the room.
1: No, they shot it with principal.
0: They knew yeah. that was all part of the principal yeah. as far as it came together.
1: Absolutely. Right? Everything, including Butcher at
2: the end. Oh, Butcher at the End was also, because uh, I, I I had thought if anything was going to be um, an addition, I thought that would that. No,
1: it's all shot in the same for the entire amount of shooting that we did. Everything was shot. There was no extra pickups. Mm. In fact, I don't even think we had any pickups after my last day of shooting. I think that was a, a total wrap on productions.
0: Well, this episode really raises the stakes with new superheroes being released from the woods new powers, given that the show has been superhero focused and superpower focused the whole time, how do you up the stakes for that last episode from an editing perspective?
1: The whole point of the last episode was to make it feel as dangerous as possible because they wanted to establish this on-campus terror. And so um, from an editing perspective, even in the beginning scene, we wanted to sh- illustrate how fractured Kate had become, which is why, in the first, very first images you see after the previous Leon, it's jump cuts and uh, sound effects, you know, the, the jump cuts and in the, in the music to make it feel like she's coming apart. And that she does that one shot where she closes her eyes and she just kind of shuts it out. And now she's ready to do something bad. And it was such a, ho- I mean, Episode seven, I, I was when I saw it for the first time, I was like, What they <laughs> killed, you. they had they slid around, so we wanted to make sure that that feeling of dread and what just happened was there, and uh, making sure that because our heroes were going to fracture and want, half of our heroes were going to go destroy humans, the other half were going to try to save humans. And kind of showing that this is a gray area, right? So we wanted to make sure that we had action purposes for each. So Sam and Kate gone. And then it was really important to go, well, Marie and Emma and Jordan, I guess, I guess it's up to us. Everything needs to then converge and feel again, like it's happening at once, but all over the place and then interjecting those heavy emotional moments like Andre with his dad, and Emma and Sam in the theater, have them resonate, but not lose the tension of what is happening out on the campus, because that is where this whole like you know boiling kettle lets loose for steam, and, and it's and it's chaos. So we did a lot of cross cutting. We did some. We did a lot of cross cutting with fights. We did a lot of cross cutting. With um, scenes, we moved a lot of scenes around to make sure that that we were maintaining this high level of tension without impacting the emotional moments and the characters that we were trying to tell their story.
2: What I think is so impressive about a show like Gen V and particularly what you do in the edit is um, it never fails to walk that very specific tightrope of tone because every given moment is like, Just a a hair away from being either the most high stakes, intense, stressful, violent uh, moment or a completely satirical like parody of the world at large. And there's a moment in this uh, in this last episode that got me where you had cut from you mentioned earlier that that scene with Andre and his dad. And it's like this beautiful, emotional, like reconnection, uh, reconciliation for these two characters and then the very first thing that it cuts to next is a character talking about how they, they're they pissed because they didn't get a, a farm to table fuck fest that, yeah. they, that they missed out on. Is that always like just very specifically delineated in the actual script, do you think? No. Or do you, that, feel like you kind of piece those moments together and create that juxtaposition that, that allows for the comedy?
1: That's a complex question because because restructuring happens, sometimes it's a happy accident. But I think what Gen V and the boys does insanely well is when you do have dramatic moments that they're treated like dramatic moments and real. Although some characters like Ashley, who said that line, may be ridiculous, that is also really true to herself. So it's not, it's true to her character. So it's not trying to be funny. It's, it's funny, of course, of course it's supposed to be funny. But it's not trying to be funny. It's staying true to the characters and the characters' voices, but also allowing these characters to have real human emotion. Um, you know, we can do all the funny stuff we want. And, you know, going back to the explosion, that's kind of funny, but it's also commenting on a real serious situation and treated seriously. But because of the exaggeration of what can happen, it's funny. So I, I agree with you. This is one of those, shows that is a satire and satire is so subtle in nature that if you're if you're even a breath off you go from somebody like television's Jason Ritter to it being stupid right but because it's weirdly grounded and you feel the real emotion in it you understand how how real those things can be and I think that's really important when you're editing is just be true to the characters and they're funny will come out and the juxtaposition of these things are just natural. I mean, they just happen. It's just going to happen. Cause it is, e- even if you rearrange these scenes, another way that uh, farm to table, fuck fast at Jeffrey and um, Ina could, if you put it somewhere else would still be just as funny. Do you know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. More are there other scenes or small edits that maybe didn't jump out of us, but that you're particularly proud of on either of these episodes.
1: Um I will say one of my favorite scenes to cut was the interrogation scene of Marie with Tech Night. It was one of the things that's in a scene like that that is so incredible is the coverage was enormous because we have a classroom and you have to maintain this tension that he is breaking her and to make it feel like it's it's ramping up. So there are very intentional edits in there. You start wide they feel open, and as the world closes in, you even go into these close-ups that may not be, uh, because the coverage is a circle, there's no real 180 to break, you know the 180 rule, right? There's really no 180 to break, but you can have eyelines that are a little off, but we hate, uh, the director got these really intense, like, uh, not extreme close-ups, but close-ups of the character where you we could pop into those to get the Whoa, whoa! I'm getting, I'm getting really nervous, and, I, and I'm about to break. Moments, and it, we we're able to do that, and and then at the end, after the valve is released, we're back to the open of Tech Night going, and that's how you break. It. <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy's such a dick, and you know everybody clapping, and I, so it's it's that kind of thing that I just think is so much fun when you're editing, especially in a big space because it can be a little daunting making sure you're tracking geography that you're tracking characters that Dean Shetty's still in there that you're feeling the weight of this moment uh rather than just it being back and forth back and forth back and forth so that that's that was an intricate scene and I really loved doing it and of course all the fight scenes are fun so
2: (laughs) now in regards to the fight scenes though how much coverage do they normally give you for is it they can't go for like you know, hours, you know, just doing the same choreography over and over again, is it as quick as as it seems or?
1: Fight scenes are usually twice as long than you see, actually see them finished. Mm. So they're choreographed. So you have the stunt people and that's always a big trick, right? Not being able to identify a stunt person. Okay. So you have a stunt (laughs) person do it. And if there's like wire work, you know, they're flying through the air, stunt people, stunt people, stunt people. And then you have the actors go through the motions. So you do get coverage, but it's weirdly cut in half because there are some things you just can't show with the actor and there's some things you cannot show with the stunt people. So normally what I'll do is I'll cut the entire scene as choreographed. And then you just start to whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down until you get the most impactful scene, fight scene that you can have where it's just like bam, 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 right?
0: Well, I feel like Gen Z both expanded the world of the boys and with some of the things we talked about, is an opportunity for people to maybe an entrance to the world of the boys as well. More, can you tell us anything about where boys season four or Gen V season two is going to go?
1: Um, I could, but then Homelander might kill me.
0: I,
2: I actually do not know. You have to edit all this. stuff. <laughs>
1: Um, I have zero idea where it's going to go. Uh, I'm really excited to see where it goes, though. I mean, one of the things that I do love about hand, having being on a spinoff that actually hands what could potentially be a plot point of this virus off is, is really exciting.
0: Well, we will be watching for more of that. On that note of mystery, we're going to call it a wrap. More really great having you.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I much appreciate it.
0: Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info on our website below the line. One word dot biz. That's B I Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media. So check it out. Maura, where next are we going to see your work?
1: Well, weirdly enough, I'm a I hop genres, so not it's not I don't always do superhero work. I don't always do dramatic work, and sometimes I do comedy work. So the next thing that's going to drop for me is a show called Acapulco on Apple Plus, which is in season three. I did season one, was unable to do season two, it's on season three, and it is a delightful, delightful 30-minute bilingual comedy about a young man who works in a hotel in Acapulco in the 1980s. So if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend checking it out because it is just
0: charming. Acapulco, there's probably no exploding penises, right? Like that's nice to get away from. There
1: aren't, but that's what I'm saying. If, If you were like, oh, I love your Gen B work and went to Acapulco, you'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is to me, I love it's so sweet. It is such a charming show. And if you like 80s music at all, I would absolutely say, check out at least episode one.
2: Love it. So that's our next episode. Then. We're doing that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Gianni, remind listeners where they can find the Bad Roots podcast. Oh, sure.
2: All podcasting platforms, you can listen to the Bad Movies Podcast. It's not nearly as scary as you think it is. We don't just talk about only bad movies. A lot of times it's me arguing that, you know, Slaughterhouse is actually not that bad. Um, so if you're interested at all, it is just the Bad Movies Podcast. You can get a ticket on any podcasting platform. Yeah, check us
0: out. My closing credits, thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and to all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Lot.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And if you ever need somebody for your bad movies, I love bad movies. Oh my
2: God. Anytime you want, uh, you just have yeah. the movie and just let me know. Yeah. Uh, it's- the bad, the better. Like my husband was like, how do you watch this stuff? I'm like, how do you not? <laughs> yeah, it's so <laughs> satisfying. To-